With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to The Pete and Sebastian Show on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. This is The Pete and Sebastian Show with Pete Corielli and Sebastian Maniscalco. Petey Biscuit, it's Jimmy from Boston. And I am torn as to what's a more disturbing thought. Biscuit oogling some dude who's wearing Versace Speedos, getting a smoothie from some chick on the Lido deck, or what? Doing squats while he's eating pork chops. Either way, I'm gonna need a lobotomy to get that shit erased from my mind. Later. Pete and Sebastian show. Let me say it, bro. Let me say it. Good to be back. I, I tell you, it feels like we haven't spoken three and a half months. It really does. I mean, I mean, I really. Every time I hook up with you, that sometimes I'm like, I got some things I want to talk about. But I'm like, how's this show gonna go? You know, I got a friend of mine calling recently saying the show's been better than ever. So you know, you feel like you want to keep it up. And then right away, as we're hooking up, you accidentally have your camera on. I'm looking at you, and I can't help but say, do you ever wear tops that don't have a hood? Well, when I get in uh, show mode, I go I go hoodie, or I don't come on. It's simple as that. It's something that I feel comfortable with when I'm doing the show. I got some sweatpants on, some socks, a little nippy here in Los Angeles. Christmas is in the air. And uh, I got to tell you, I feel cozy. I'll give you that. I know. I understand. But even when I'm out with you sometimes, once in a while, in a more more casually, but yeah. you, you, you go with a hood. Would you like the hood? Can we say that? You know what? I never liked the hood until my wife started picking out hoodies. Now, but, but you never put the hood on. No, the hood doesn't go on, guy. It, it's not a uh, it's not a warmth thing. It's more of a look. However, I think I reached the age of forty one years old where a hoodie, I, I don't think I could pull it off anymore. What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, you're a lot younger than 41 when it comes down to it, the way you live. But I just, if you, I'm still blown away by the fact that you're not ever going to put the hoodie on. So why the hoodie? Just like a, a, is it like a cape? Is it symbolizing a cape? 
or a, a, a mane of a horse, a horse's mane, perhaps? You make, you make a very valid point. If I could get away with wearing a cape, I would. <laughs> well, you know, you may as well. I mean, shit. <laughs> Oh, Although, God. you ever see someone when they are like on a plane or something, they got the hood up? I'm like, I always look at them like, oh, what do you want to be alone? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I get it, guy. I get it, guy. Yeah. Yes. yeah. No, that's a big look out here in LA, like shopping around Whole Foods. There's always a guy with a hoodie on and sunglasses looking at apples. And I'm like, hey, all right, guy, what are you, not famous? <laughs> Am I supposed to not know that I know you? <laughs> Fucking God. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel like we could have done seven podcasts uh, this week alone. Like... It's hard for me not to call you and get on a cast. Oh, I know. I constantly say to Jackie, oh, that's on the cast. That's on the cast. (laughs) Well, (sighs) as long as it's fresh in my mind, and I don't know where you want to go with this, but can can we at least get a jumping off point of what happened to you in the hotel room? You text me some type of party, some altercation you got... With some guys in the hallway. Oh, God, dude. I already forgot about that. That wasn't even on my list. That was insanity. Okay. Well, take the listeners back and, and set it up for us. What uh, What's going on? The, the, literally, I think you got to start traveling with some type of security. This was unbelievable. I tell you, bro, it seems like every time I bring my family um, is when... When I have the noisy neighbor, it's when the flight is delayed. It's when, you know, the car rental isn't what you order. You know, it's like it just, oh, the hotel doesn't end up being as nice. Everything when they come, man. So yeah. I, I, they come with me last week to Baltimore. We're going to do some Christmas stuff. It was quite fun. It was great having them there. And the hotel was a nice Sheridan in uh, Baltimore, connected to a real fancy big mall, literally connected. So it was a nice setup to Christmas shop and shit. By the way, bro, I uh, I tweeted it out at the time. The Santa Claus in the mall weighed about 112 pounds. Ooh, Sadie, wow. I wouldn't let Sadie go on his lap. I thought he was sick, right? <laughs> so, so then we go to another area of uh, Baltimore called the Inner Harbor, and they have another Santa there. We, you can walk behind where he's sitting, so we go to go around them to maybe get online. I couldn't do that one either because there was brown hair coming out of the white wig. What? Tuck that shit in, man. Oh, How, what do I explain to my kid, bro? What the fuck is that? Wait a minute. He had longer hair in the back? In the back, like you could, first of all, normally you can't get behind a Santa, but this guy was out in the open. You can walk all around them. So we're walking around them, and when you go around them, the, the white wig and all the beard and hair, it stopped, and there was still about four or five solid inches of all of his brown, black, regular uh, hair, which was sweating, which oh, was... Oh, wow. You know, I mean, I can't say, you got, it's got to be all white, dude. It's got to be all white, and was this guy old, or was he young Santa? That was what was really upsetting. I, I don't think he was more than, like, 37. I need oh, old. Man. I need, oh, I need yeah. you might need, I need you maybe to die sitting in that chair. Yeah, no, you got to be old. Listen, Santa Claus has to be, and this should be on the application, 
65 and over. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. 65 and older. Don't even come and knock. And I don't care if you're 45 and you've been doing coke and you look like you're 80. I want 65 (laughs) or older. Absolutely. Oh, God. So So, the brown hair, this guy's drenched. So so it was one thing. It was fun. But I'm joking. But so anyway, at night when I leave to go to the show... Um, this is one of these big hotels with some ballrooms and this and that. So some Christmas parties going on. And I don't know if it was a wedding or a Christmas party. I never saw anything like it. I round the bend to get off the elevator. I round the bend to my hallway on my ho- where my hotel room is. And there's got to be at least 25 African-American people out in the hallway. I mean, just... Just like, like they rented the hallway. That's the best way I could put it. Like they rented the hallway. I mean, they are just hanging out, and I'm like, and dude, and we reached a point where Sadie doesn't want to sleep anymore in the crib, you know. So we bring up, uh, and she doesn't, she can't sleep with us because she just moves around way too much. Can't have her own room. So we bring a big uh, twin size air mattress, and we put it in a cove, and we put a bunch of great blankets on it, give her a nice little area where she can move around, and but. Nevertheless, it's pretty close to the door. And they're like, you know, really, without walls? They were like 10 feet away from my daughter, just like semi, semi singing, man, like singing in the hallway. Cause I don't see nothing wrong. Hey, nothing wrong. A little bit of bumping. Nothing wrong. And I come walking up, and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is gotta be a problem and I go to open up the door to my room and Jackie's standing there and she's like guy you gotta fucking do something that, that's like this is crazy I go I thought so I thought so and I turn around I close the door behind me to her and there's a guy standing over me drunk as fuck and he's like and he's looking at me he's like is this your room is this your room mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I go yeah I go yeah this is my fucking room guy why don't you go to your fucking room what wait wait wait, 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 wait. are you throwing f-bombs yeah yeah all right, this is serious. Oh, dude, uh, dude, he's five feet away from my daughter, and he's going, is this your room? I go, yeah, this is my fucking room, dude. Where the fuck is your room? Like that, I didn't do it mean. I go, where the fuck is your room? Go to your room. What is everyone doing out here, bro? Are you on this floor? Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Yo. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you didn't do it mean? That sounds like you're literally going to stab the guy in the calves. Stab the guy? He's hovering over my half-open door asking me if it's mine. I mean... It sounds like you are being aggressive, which is totally fine, but you said you weren't being mean. Based on what you're telling me, it sounds like this could this could literally go down to a, a brawl in a hallway. Yeah, no, I snapped pretty quick, but the thing about it, man, is it was just total defense mode. I mean, you're leaning over my half-open door, wasted, yeah. asking me if it's my room. you know. And I saw him come through two double doors down the hallway where the service elevators are and stuff. So uh, I, I'm like, I'm literally, I look at him and I go, Get the, why, go to your room, go to your room, go to your fucking room, dude. And as I'm wow. saying that, I start walking down the hall and I'm going through him and he's spreading the word to his friends that, you know, what I just did. And they're like, what, what did he do? And he starts coming down the hallway That's to me. It. And he's coming down the hallway and he's going, uh, he's like, you know, you don't talk to me like that, you know. And I go, uh, come on down. I go, come on down with me. You want to come down with me? I'm going downstairs. Come on. Come on down with me. And, uh, I, dude, I was 
I was so pissed, dude. Because uh, it was, I just never saw chaos like this, right? So, luckily, his girlfriend or something cuts in front of him and says, no, don't do anything, don't do anything. And he's like, no, he's a punk ass or whatever. And I'm waiting for the elevator around the bend. And I'm around the bend waiting for the elevator by myself. And I'm literally like, like loosening up like Rocky before a fight. Like, I go, they're coming. Oh, they're coming. No, I don't hate Balboa, but I pity the fool. And I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. What's your prediction for the fight then? Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. They don't come. When I get in the elevator, I go downstairs. I come down to the front desk and I go, you got to get someone up to the fifth floor. And instantly they go, we're calling the cops right now. And to the point where it was obvious they've been yeah. fielding multiple phone calls. Yeah. And I go, so it's not me. You get, and they go, no, the phone call, it's lighting up. I go, dude, it's fucking chaos up there. It's chaos. We'll, we'll go back to your room. We're calling the police right now. We promise we're taking care of it. I take two steps back to my towards the elevator. I've never done this before. I go back and I go... I need security, man. I can't go back there by myself. Someone's got to walk me back to my room. So so the guy goes, no, absolutely, I'll come with you. Another dude, he goes, I'll come with you, I'll come with you. So he comes with me, and we go up to the, the door, and we open it up. I couldn't believe it, man. There's nobody out there, nobody. So he walks me down to my whole room, to my room. I go into my room, close the door, and I lay down, and... Now it's uh, it's pretty cool. And then I get a phone call from the front desk, and they said security had gone up just before us, and that's why it was empty, right? Okay, cool. So they're gone. So now I'm laying in my bed, and you hear these dudes partying really loud, right? And they're fucking, fucking, fucking this and that. And we can't sleep, and Sadie's rolling over. And I'm, and I'm banging on the door next to me, the wall. And I'm getting nothing. So I call the front desk. And I go, you say it's over there partying their asses off right next to me. Yeah. So they call. I hear the phone ring. And I hear a guy next to me, like, sleeping. And he answers it. And he goes, no, it's not me. I hear him through the wall. And I go to Jackie, oop, wrong room. <laughs> so then I still hear it. It won't stop. So I go, it's the other room, the other side of me. And they go, okay. Uh, and they send up security and knock, and, and I call back down, and I go, what happened? They go, I'm sorry, sir, that room is nothing either. And I go, well, I hear it. I hear it. It won't stop. So Jackie goes, wait a minute. There's the vent. There's a vent above the, in the bathroom. So I go, she goes, it's coming from above us. I go up to the room above us. I go up the stairs to the room. I put my ear by the door. I don't even have to. I get halfway down the door floor. They're fucking partying at the top of their lungs. Dude, it's 2 in the morning. My daughter's rolling over. I'm trying to get some sleep. I'm dying. I go back down to my room. I call their room. Jack is like, what are you doing? I go, they can't read my room number. They don't know where I'm calling from. I call their room. I hear their phone ring through the vent. And I'm finally like, oh, this is the room, right? And I hear them partying. The dude picks up the phone. And he goes into the phone. This is why I know I'm home run. He goes, Jonesy! <laughs> he thought I was his fu- he thought I was his fucking buddy, and I go, no, you dumb motherfucker, you stupid fuck face fuck. This isn't Jonesy, dick fuck. I'm calling to tell you the cops are downstairs, motherfucker. They're coming up now, you stupid fuck. What a mouth on that guy. And I hang up the phone, bro. Silence. That room just dropped dead. And you just hear nothing the rest of the night. It was, and I just, 
I'm telling you to the listeners of this show, you can go on your phone and you'll see how to call room to room. It's very easy to do. The person answering has no idea if you're the front desk, if you're in another room. Use that technique. It's it's fun. It works. You can say you're Jerry at the front desk. You can do whatever you want. Oh, God. I just... Now, now, after you do that, does your wife look at you like you're some type of Greek god? Or, 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 Or does she look at you and go, you're crazy? No. Exactly what you said, bro. You know when you hang with someone and they so when someone says they're well traveled yeah you and i stuff like that that's fucking well traveled <laughs> to be able to get a plane for an entire airline from an airline for a whole group to be able to shut down a hallway like i mean i will t- everyone else was cowering in their rooms making phone calls i take one walk down that hallway i'm like no 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 i don't know who's letting this shit go this is shutdown time right now at, at, at any point of this whole altercation, do you at all kind of step out of yourself and go, I'm a father. What am I doing? The, uh, not in that particular situation. I got a story for later on in the show that's much more petty where I did do that. But in this particular situation, I thought I was being a father. And, you know, this shit needs to stop right now. I did think, though, when I was around the bend by the elevator bank and I thought he was coming around the bend, I'm like, oh, man, is this is this happening? Am I really going to fight right now? So, Oh, man, I'm telling you, what is it with you and altercations? It's got to be a vibe that you're sending out to people that, it, it, I mean, it's following you, man. It's well, following. You know, well, this isn't even the one I was going to bring up, and this is a little one, and maybe it is me, but it's not the altercations. It's the positions that I find myself in. Like, how, when was the last time you rounded a bend and it was uh, Mardi Gras on the hallway where you were? No, listen, I haven't had it that bad. I mean, I've had people where they're partying in the room. I'm going to have to call the front desk, get security up, just because you know, I'm a very light sleeper. I, you know, just to, if people are watching Three's Company next door, I get upset. So I, I haven't had a situation where I told myself, I'm literally going to get in a fight right now. But you've been. I'd say the last four months been in maybe three or four different situations where there could be a problem where police could be involved. I Well, I tell you, man, my greatest attribute with regard to this, I think I really know the limit with people. I know just how far to take it. I shouldn't say that, right? I'm going to get shot off the fucking shoulder of I-95 next week. <laughs> 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 but, but but listen, man. Last night I'm driving when you and JJ were doing with texting again. I couldn't be involved. I'm I'm on I'm I'm driving from Fredonia to Toledo on a snowstorm on Route 90 East. And at midnight, I pull over to get some coffee at this shitty gas station. Right dump. The coffee is clearly cold. I pour the coffee. I try to make the best of it. I point to the guy behind the counter. I go, bro, you mind if I pop, uh, pop this in the microwave for 45? He's like, yeah, no problem. I throw it in the microwave. At least now it's hot. I add powdered cream, powdered sugar, just the shittiest coffee, bro. And you know how much I love coffee. Even I couldn't drink this coffee. 
Finally, I just say, fuck it. I throw it in the garbage. I got to go somewhere else. I'm walking out. 12.15, in the middle of a snowstorm, dumpy gas station, 40 miles outside of Toledo. And this guy goes, what happened with the coffee? And I go, oh, it's just I couldn't doctor it up enough to get it to be drinkable, bro. I really tried, man. Thanks for letting me use the mic, though. And he goes, yeah, yeah I, but you got to give me 10 cents for the cup. What? <laughs> oh, my God. I can't even get a fucking break on the cup. <laughs> I had to walk back in. I was halfway out the door. I'm like, here's your dime. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a break, bro. Oh, God. <laughs> I swear to God, dude. The cup? The cup. Ten cents. They account for the cups. Oh, God. It's <sighs> terrible. So, um, you know, so uh, <laughs> what's going on? Because I got some more fun stuff, but... Uh, where, where you at? What, we got, we got, I'm, I'm very excited. We can't make sure the show goes too long because tonight I'm in my hotel room. I'm looking forward to watching Conan, man. How did it go? How'd you uh, feel? Well, I'll tell you. I, uh, since this airs on Friday, uh, obviously Thursday night, tonight is when it airs, but I shot it on Tuesday. And uh, I got there, and uh, to be honest with you, ever since I booked it five weeks ago, I've been very, not, not, not five weeks ago, yeah, maybe three and a half weeks ago, I've been very uh, nervous about this particular set. And i give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, we all know what happened on Fallon. So I had that in the back of my head. And I could compare it to maybe, I don't know if I could compare it to sports, but Lana and I were talking about, if you compare it to, like, say, gymnastics, and there's a point in the routine where... You maybe fell before, and then you yeah. have to do that routine again. And at that point where you fell, it's in the back of your mind, like here it comes. How is it going to happen? So that's the that's the best way I could describe what I was feeling for the Conan set. Now I wasn't able to run the set at all. I, I couldn't run the set because I was doing shows that were an hour long. But what I decided to do is start the set each night in New York City with the set that I would be doing on Conan. Nice. So I would have that kind of in the repertoire, knowing the beats. But when I looked at the tape, it was like six minutes long. And I'm like, oh, this is a minute and a half over what it's supposed to be. So anyway, I get back to L.A. I run this set twice, once at the Laugh Factory, once at the Comedy Store, on a Monday night in front of eight and 12 people, respectively. And you know those sets... When you're you're running a a TV show set in front of an audience that's beat out, you know it, it's not like you're walking up on a Saturday night at eight thirty, right? So it's a Monday at ten thirty. Half of the room is like, when's this show gonna end? The other half is like making out. So I do the set and I'm like, all right, you know, I don't know how this is gonna go. I go to Conan. They're filming my portion of the evening to air at a later date, which is tonight. Uh, so I'm not actually on the show that they're filming that night. They're like, listen, he did Fallon recently. He's got amnesia, so we might have to do some editing. So let's have him come in on Tuesday for Thursday. <laughs> uh, no one told us he had dementia. So... We, we we isolate his set and we chop it up to the editing room. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, we need more time than it took to edit Titanic. 
<laughs> no, all right. So I, wow, that's I, interesting, though. Do you feel, before we go any further, just a quick question. Did you feel like you were part of that show? I as, did be, I did feel like I was part of the show. However, what they were doing is they're going on vacation, so they're trying to consolidate a lot of shows into one week so they don't have to work Thursday and Friday. That's what they're doing. Right. So they're, they're doing longer shows. So I did feel part of the show, and I'll tell you why later. But I get there, and you know the setup there. They got the they got the massage chairs in the back. They got the you know it's a very intimate type of uh, square that you kind of hang out in. Yeah. And I had Judy there. I had my agent there, and my wife. And um, we were hanging out in the room. They get you there really early, you know, two thirty for four thirty show, and it started late about five. So I was sitting around for two and a half hours. Yeah. But for some of that time, I was actually running the act in front of Lana, and I and I and I got to have a, I just got to give a shout out to my wife here and all wives uh, that have to deal with not only guys in entertainment, but specifically with guys in entertainment because that's all I know. I mean, this woman has to sit there and listen to me do my set over and over again and act like it's the first time she's ever hearing it. I mean. Do these women deserve a a gold medal? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's some of the things they do, right? I, I can't get over it. So she's sitting there and she's listening, like uh, you know, like uh, she's so damn interested in this thing. Then I have to tell her to get out of the. I mean, first I need her there. Then I tell her you got to get out. I got. I need time alone. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, 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 okay. Now, I never, I always scale down low when I do these shows, which I was happy to hear you scale down low after the fucking P. Diddy Club you had at, at your <laughs> yeah, yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> now, but, uh, and then when you bring people like Judy, now for anyone who doesn't know Ed Conan, what Sebastian's saying, there's a big open area and there's little offshoot where you have your own dressing room of reasonable size as well mm-hmm. off, off of this big square. So you'll have like your agent and your manager out in the square. Like when I did it, I had my guy who wrote the sitcom with me. He's out in the square, and you're in your green room. And you'll, over the two and a half hours, you bop out every once in a while. See See what he's doing. And as the performer, no matter where that person is in the middle of a conversation with you, you can walk away. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you're in a mo- Hey, you know, if you, if, if you know J.J. Watt and he invites you to a game and you're on the sideline like two and a half hours before the game and he's stretching and he's like, hey, how was the flight here? And you go, I took Virgin. Boom. And he walks away. Hey, he's in the moment, baby. Yeah, right? to- yeah, totally, totally acceptable behavior. When someone is about to do something, they could literally <laughs> float out of the conversation <laughs> And you know what? I kind of wish that that was the case throughout my whole life where I could just run away from people. <laughs> but, but, but getting back to the wife, I don't, I've never ever needed my wife not to be in the room. This is interesting to me. Okay, so this is, this is where we're at. I want, I want the room kind of cleared, and I just want to be with myself, and I want to be with the material. And I want to run it, which I typically don't do. I don't run material. I Jesus just, Christ, what'd you have? The best set in the history of fucking Conan O'Brien? Is that what we're going with this? <laughs> Holy shit. Keep going, though. 
I'm running the material. I'm back and forth. I'm pacing like a fucking animal in the back. And I don't know if you've ever run, ran your set like just out loud and caught yourself in the mirror doing it. Oh, God, is that oh, weird? God, you do it too long. You're like... Why did I think any of this was ever funny? Yeah, I'm like this. They ain't gonna laugh. Now, in the in, in the dressing room. Now, the, it, since it was a packed show, I'm sharing a bathroom with the guys across from me, and the guys across from me are five midgets. Come on, man. Yeah. So me and the midgets are sharing a, a bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Did they reach? Well, it brought up a good point. Me and Lana were kind of talking. I go, how did they go to the bathroom? What did they do? Yeah. Do, I do, mean, you know? do you know? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately asking how a little person goes to the bathroom. I mean... I would think for every time a midget goes to the bathroom, it's like, it would be for us, like, climbing up onto... The your the roof of your shed, and then peeing right. It's like a it's a climb. Like or is it? Well, do they stand on the toilet seat and piss down? I would imagine a custom normal. I mean, a normal everyday household yeah. toilet bowl. Your average midget man probably can't stand and pee into that. I would imagine. That's probably... I, I would imagine he's almost level with it. Maybe a tiptoe job. But no, I would imagine at home they have lower bowls. Uh, Japan is fantastic. But here they have to probably sit. Okay. So, I mean, one guy looked real small. Like, I don't know if he could have sat. He might have fell in. I don't know. I'm just... I'm thinking to myself. Right, right, right. I mean, you never think of this stuff, but I'm 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 sharing bathrooms with them. I'm thinking, how the hell do they do they do it? And this is you know, this is a gift from the comedy gods, right here. You realize this guy looked down and said, "Oh my God, Sebastian so hopped up because he forgot one line on Fallon." I need to have five midgets in the room sharing a bathroom <laughs> with him just to take his mind off this shit. He's going to fucking go crazy. <laughs> I mean, nothing else but five midgets sharing a bathroom with you would work. <laughs> oh, God. So, there What I were they there for? Do you know what they were doing? Yeah. It was funny. I mean, Conan... Oh, really? Was it? <laughs> you got five midgets. I don't think... Oh, are they doing Shakespeare? <laughs> Well, that's the whole thing. It's funny you say that because Conan says every time you see a little person, they're always playing like an elf during the holidays. Right. And he's like, you know what? I think they deserve a little bit more. So he had them act out a scene of Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. And they did like a like a, like a dramatic scene, like five midget. But, but then after that, they put them into elf uniforms and they sang like some elf song. So, oh, my God. How bad did Conan O'Brien want the next couple of days off? <laughs> <laughs> get five midgets have them come in here and do the fucking Jack Lemon scene and let's call it a week oh uh, you know what I'm having such a good time I forgot the time we might we might have to this might have to be an intermission okay alright you're right this is an intermission we're about to hook up with a uh, cast member of Howard Stern that I believe you were the one who originally set up with, via tweet right uh, yeah, we, we you know he was uh, he was tweeting at us and uh, it, and listen and this, 
you got you got to take the lead on this because yeah. I'm not I, I don't listen to Stern. Oh really? Yeah, no problem, man. I love Stern. Shuley is a, a friend of mine who works in his on yeah, Stern. I know, I know he's in the news department. I know that much, but I don't know the nuances of the show. So you might have to take the lead on this and let me let me chime in here and there. I'll set it up. Here's a collection of telephone sounds of the 1970s. Typically, the rotary dialing sounds like this. Wow, this is Christopher Walken here. I like your Bean Sebastian show a lot. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, sometimes it gets ridiculous, but I, I really like it. That's all I want to say. You on your way. You going to the top. You the next Lenny Bruce, man. It's crazy. Gentlemen, it's Brian from Jersey. Uh, just finding it comical that everybody's asking for more. Everybody wants more. They want more free shit. More podcasts a week. They want two. Let's just give them, give them what they're asking for. Let's just do a cast a day. It's been a long time coming, no? Podcast a day. Let's get on that. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points... And may God have mercy on your soul. complaining about 19 cents a minute. By my math, that's a little under $12 for the full show. Perhaps Sebastian could have Ron end his next massage about three minutes early and he can float you to $15 loan. Come on! Well, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. Hi guys, this is Han from Austin, Texas. The show means a lot to me and the other listeners. The day you guys cancel the show, I'm going to need to take a knee, do one of Pete's man cry. <laughs> Jimmy from Boston, I'll be looking forward to that Christmas card, sir. And Pete, come back to Austin or LOL. Sebastian, see you in the summer. That's one of the best impressions I've ever heard. Finally, somebody that could entertain me. <laughs> Your calls have been the show within a show. 
I am DJ Lou, and please keep them coming. I fucking love them. 716-638-0759. Surely, now back to Pete and I'd Sebastian. like you to meet uh, Sebastian. Oh, you guys, you guys met officially? Oh. Well, we actually, we met in the men's room at Sirius uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, oh, yeah, and complimented him on the show, told him I was a loyal listener. And uh, I actually met him once before, years ago, ages ago, opening for Dice in Vegas when I was living out in Vegas. And uh, and, and I, I met him a few times on Jay Thomas' show on Sirius. Oh, fuck. Guess now, on I, now, now I feel terrible. I know. The guy practically sent you a Christmas card every year, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a christening at the christening and uh, other than that you know but keep bumping into them here and there nothing major I tell you Shules though through the years working at Sirius too though the, the, the men's room at Sirius it's an interesting place because on any given day you can walk in and see anyone pissing from goddamn Bruce Springsteen to you know your best friend's mom uh, dad that he's bringing on a tour of Sirius and it, it's you know? It's so funny you say that because I was peeing one day and up next to me walks up uh, Dio, Ronnie James Dio, peeing next to me at the urinal. And I'm like, what other planet could this happen on where Dio's pissing next to you at the urinal? All right, and, Jules, uh, Jules uh, Sebastian doesn't even know the name of the lead singer or the who, all right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> it would be like if Gwen Stefani came and peed next oh, to Oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> one, one time, one time, uh, when, um, what's his face, uh, Mel Carmazin took over, serious. You ever hear him, yeah. Sebastian? Uh, he's like a big-time Buckwald agent who was represented Stern for years. Have you ever no. heard of him? Oh, he's just incredibly rich uh, mogul, and he took over Sirius, you know, and he used to run K-Rock where Stern was. and uh, not Did he run it? Yeah, he ran it, right, Jules? Oh, yeah, he ran it. Yeah. He ran it all. Yeah. So one time he was peeing next to me during a break while I'm doing the show at Brewer, and I'm <laughs> standing next to Urinal next to him, and as he's peeing, I look at him, I go, just want you to know you're doing a hell of a job. <laughs> I go... Everyone's really excited that you came on board. You're going to turn this ship around, man. And he's like, well, and I go, no, you will, Mel. You will, Mel. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what, what's your guys' take? Just what he wants to hear. What is your guys' take on that? I mean, is it a complete, utter, off-limits to ever talk to another man while he's pissing if it's someone you really wanted to meet? Or do you ever break that boundary and go, I don't give a shit. I may never be next to you again. I'm asking. I'm saying hi or whatever. Well, Shules, did you, did you say hi to, to uh, Dio? I did. And even with you, uh, when I saw you there in the bathroom, I said, in my head, I'm like, should I or shouldn't I? And then I came to the conclusion that I should, but never extend a handshake in the men's room or anything to that nature. So it was just about acknowledging your body of work, uh, that I appreciate it, and, and I am a, a listener, and let's move on about our day like gentlemen. That's the way I approached it. <laughs> what, what, a ni- what a nice way to put it. I think that's a nice way to kind of do things, you know? I mean, you go in, in and out. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you have to set up shop next to the urinal and have a sandwich. I think it's just like a hello and, uh, and goodbye, no? 
Well, listen. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I listen. I don't need you in the men's room telling me, shut it down. You're too close. You know, <laughs> give me my space. And like, you know, uh, so I know. In and out, boom, bang, that's it. I, I like it. I'm a fan. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, but you know, one aspect of that too, when you go up to a man and say that in the bathroom, it's like, what What are you afraid he might go out the window? <laughs> like, why Why can't he just go out the door wait for him to come out, you know? It's like, damn, like, you're going to sit out there for an hour and go out, turns out he climbed out the window at a stall. Fuck. I knew I should have said something when I was next to him. I feel it's kind of creepier to wait outside. Like, you've seen, oh, yeah. you guys have made eye contact at some point in the bathroom, and now you're going to wait outside. That, to me, is a little creepier than just saying, hey, man. You know, well, what a great what, what a great line if a fan looked at you and said, "Do you want me to tell you I love you while we piss next to each other, or should I wait outside?" <laughs> <laughs> now, let me all right, a little banter going on here, but for anyone on our show who might not know, Shuli. By the way, Shuli, I only know you by Shuli. Now, Shuli is a part of the Howard Stern legendary awesome radio show, and what is your full name? That is, it's not like a, a stage name. I'm not like a stripper or anything. That's it. It's a Hebrew name. Uh, I was born with that name, and uh, and and I figured once I started doing stand up, you know, there's not a lot of shulies out there, so I should probably stick with it because I wasn't a big fan of it growing up. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't trending when I was growing up. That <laughs> name. So uh, yeah, you know. All right. I, I used to. I used to. I used to. I still have friends to this day that know me as Sean. That was my alias. That I used to just. I just changed it one day. I was tired of it. I was like, fuck it. But no. uh, but but when I started doing stand up, I'm like, hey, this is actually different. Is good in this uh, industry. So I went with it. And I was a listener for many years to Howard and, and started calling in and, and calling in with James and impressions and, and bits. And uh, when he moved over to Sirius, he, he gave me an opportunity to come and work with his news team. And, uh, and I came out for a one-week audition, and one week turned into a, a month and a half. And then they told me, go home, get the rest of your shit, and come back. And I did. And I've been here ever since, since uh, 2006. Wow. Listen, when you started calling in, was your intention to get on the show or was this something that you were doing just kind of for shits and giggles? Or what, where, what, what were you trying to do or was there any intention behind it? I was a listener for a good eight to nine years before I ever picked up the phone and called into the show. Every job I had seemed to kind of correlate with the show. Uh, you know, I did construction many years, so I used to always listen to the show and, and I was a huge fan of it. And, and I loved the arguments on the show, the, the back office fights, the, the fights with management. Those were my things. Like I loved hearing that because nobody else was doing it. Yeah. So, so for me, when I went, it got to a point, I moved out to Las Vegas and you know, Vegas hours are different than any planet uh, anywhere, any, any town, any city, any planet, anything. And so I would be up at three in the morning when the show would run live uh, to the West coast because it was 6am on the East and I would listen. And, and it got to the point where I was like, screw it. If I'm listening, I'm going to start calling in. Excuse and, me. Can I interrupt I called, for one second? 
What a cool yeah. way to listen to Stern. It wasn't a morning show for you. It was a fucking, it was a late night show <laughs> with booze and weed and coke maybe. I don't know what your thing is, but it was like coming in at three in the morning in Vegas. That's pretty cool. Well, I dealt blackjack and roulette for a couple of years at the Barbary Coast out in Las Vegas. So I would get off of work and it'd be, you know, one thirty in the morning and I'd go to Fat Burger and get uh, some dinner. And by the time I was done and digesting, it was 2.45 and the show was coming on. So I would just stay up and listen. And, uh, and it just, I, I just called in one day. I, I had a dumb joke to tell them. And they were on their way to Vegas to come do a show live from the Hard Rock. And I said, you know what? What if I tell him this joke and, and I'll make him a bet? If he laughs, I want to be able to make a bet with them at this blackjack table that they're going to be broadcasting from the whole weekend. And, uh, and I called the number and it was like fate, man. It was like I got through one, one dial. It rang. The guy picked up. I told him the idea I had. He put me on hold. Ten minutes later, I was talking to Howard Stern. Jeez. And, uh, yeah, and it was amazing. And, it, and, it, and it's like 4.30 in the morning in Vegas. I have nobody that's awake around me. I have nobody to share this with. <laughs> I, uh, and, and, and it was it. I mean, once I got a taste of it, I was like, I'm going to start doing this all the time. And I, and I just started coming up with bits and and games and impressions or whatever I could come up with. You know, Shules, this is interesting because you probably know this cat, a friend of ours on the show, Andy Pitts. He does a great Casey Kasem. Absolutely. Okay. He's been phenomenal. Okay, yeah, you guys got him now, right? That's We consider ourselves over here to what you guys are and stuff. What a daily show. People are lifting our talent left and right. <laughs> you guys are a farm team. Yeah, I mean, before you know it, Andy Pitts is going to be doing a pistachio commercial. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. What a hack! All right, now the, the, the point is, bro. I swear to God, about two weeks ago, before I went into where I live in the small town, I was going into my little gym, and I'm I make some phone calls in my jeep before I walk into the gym, and I was talking to Pitts because I needed him to belt out one more Casey Kasem for our show. And by right. the way, any, anytime I need him to do the Casey Kasem, you would think I'm asking Aretha Franklin to sing Respect at fucking Rockefeller Center during the tree lighting. <laughs> Holy shit, this guy, he needs motivation. He needs, <laughs> I swear to God. So I usually tell Sebastian, I'll text Sebastian, we got we got uh, Casey Kasem this week. And then later on the show, uh, the week I text Sebastian, fuck the Casey Kasem, it ain't happening. <laughs> Now, so I, I, about two weeks ago, I love Andy, but I got into a thing with him. I'm calling him from the Jeep, and he goes, yeah, I, did a, I sent a couple things into the show, and I'm waiting to hear, and this, that. And I go, dude, what are you not fucking getting, man? Why aren't you just once a day, you listen to Stern, and you take an hour, you go in your basement, and you just riff all these great voices? Like, you don't understand, bro. He does an unbelievable uh rodney he does an unbelievable woody allen i'm like why don't you just do all this and send this shit they'll love it and eventually what's gonna happen you may get a gig and you may get the comic stream gig working from your house just sending shit in you don't wait for them to ask just flood it baby send it he's like no you're right maybe i should i know i'm right that's look at you shules when you send shit from vegas could you ever imagine Someday that you're at Stern's, I would imagine, house at a goddamn party hanging out. 
I mean, not not in a million years. And and for me, I would call in with so much stuff that in, when they would go to break, they would always check if you're still on hold. And I would always, you know, they'd be like, you still there? And I go, listen, I want to change my question. I got this. I want to change it to that. Like I would, I would try and kind of listen to the flow of the show and see where it was going. And I tried to have as many options there as, as possible. I, look, I'm not a master impressionist. The one impression outside of the show that I did solid was Bobcat Goldway. And he wasn't relevant at the time. And there was no way. At the time? When did that change? <laughs> I'm sorry. Was but, he in the Expendables three? What the? <laughs> Who wasn't in the Expendables three? But uh, but uh, no, I called in with like roast jokes about people as Bobcat, and I kind of crowbarred that impression in there, and and just whatever I could, man. I would take fights that he would play on Best of, and I would take one quote out of the fight between him and Gary, and I would make up two other quotes. And then I would make a whole game out of it. And I would say to Howard, when you and Gary argued about this, his response was A, B, or C. Now, whether or not he got it right wasn't even the game. The game was starting that fight all over again. And that's what happened every single time. And, and right. that, that's what I love, you know? Well, all right. The James Lipton portion of the show is over. And I think I speak on behalf of both of us when I say... What's like one of the most unbelievable examples of wealth dealing with with Howard that you've ever experienced? Like, were you ever hanging out with him, and all of a sudden there's a light breeze, and he's like, "Ooh, step to the side," because a helicopter just landed right next to you guys. I mean, <laughs> talk to us, man. What What was the one thing where you were like, "Holy shit"? Well, there was that one day that they were uh, they were carrying him in on a on a on a on a fucking like three hundred uh, chariot, you know, with just male slaves holding the thing on their shoulders, and uh, and then we had another uh, another time where uh, he literally floated out of the studio like the angel that he is. <laughs> no, a beam. You listen, what, bro? What do you think we brought you on because we want to hear all this uh, fantastic bits from when you were in high school that got you on the show? I want to know: Does Howard Stern have Avion water when he showers? Does he shower with Avion water tanks? <laughs> he showers with the tears of orphan children from three, third world countries. Uh, no, to be honest with you, here's how rich he is. I have no interaction with him whatsoever. That should give you an idea how rich that guy is. Is uh, you know, he does his own thing. Listen, he's, people always ask me, they go, "What's he like?" And I tell them the same thing. I go, "He's awesome. He hired me." End of story. I don't care what he does after that. <laughs> you know, the guy gave me an opportunity nobody else would, and uh, and he's he's a good guy, man. He's fucking. If you're loyal to him, he's loyal to you, and he takes great care of his crew and his people. And uh, it's it's awesome, man. In my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be up there working with them. Uh, the Christmas parties, I mean, forget it. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating story how you got on the show. And I have to say this, my sister and her uh, her husband are, are huge fans of the show and yourself. He's also from Israel and uh, shares a common bond with you. But I want to take it back to dealing cards at Barbary yeah. Coast, okay? And, and yeah. I need to know a few things because I used to gamble a lot doing blackjack. What yeah. is the etiquette on tipping a dealer? 
Well, you know, it's a great question, my friend, because for me, when I play, you know, there's some players that put the tip up on their bet, you know, and they're playing for the dealer. And if you win that hand, then they double up their tip. And it, and and it, there's an old, you know, there's old, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, like cliches or, or bad luck tales where gamblers will tell you, if you play that tip for them, you'll lose that hand every time. Uh, but the bottom line is when you win... Hey, I'm sorry, is that like... That seems a little bit like a bone, like I'm throwing you a bone, like, hey, you should care about this because there's something on the line for you. Is that a little offensive as a dealer? It is because you have no fucking control over what you're doing. If if I could control me winning every hand, I'd be on the other right, side of that right. table for eight hours a day. That's like you a club I mean? owner before you go on and goes, hey, we got a big house here, be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that, but, but, but as a player, when you yeah. put the tip up for the dealer, you feel like you and the dealer are in this together, and you have kind of like an open dialogue. When it comes to hit or stay, you ask the dealer because he's seen it all, and he's going to tell you kind of book play rather than emotional play or, or, or am I just sitting and I'm, and am I dreaming? No, no, it, it all, here's what it all depends on. You ready for this? It's where you play. There are certain houses that don't give a shit what the dealer tells you. They can coach you for six hours. They don't care. And then there's, there's houses they call breaking houses where the pit bosses make commission on how much the tables take in at the end of the night and they don't want these dealers dumping to these players, and they don't want you giving advice to players. I, I know a guy that told a guy to split sixes on a, on a $4 table a, 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 or $2 fucking blackjack table, and the guy split the sixes. He got a five-on-one. He doubled down. He got another six. He re-split. Long story short, he won every hand. He ended up winning like 30 dollars They fired him. They fired the dealer for coaching players. And wow. that's the difference between a big casino and a small casino because the big ones are making money everywhere. They don't give a shit. You can coach them. They're still going to take it in at the end of the night. But the small ones, you, they're going to kick you, your foot under the table when you're dumping. Like, you got some control over that. You know what I mean? Wow. So, so give me your Vegas story. You live there. How long you live there? 12 years. Before, I'm sorry, years. can I just, to one last, last thing with the tip in that while you were still on it, Sebastian? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just in simplest terms, Shules, I'm not really a gambler, okay? Let's say I'm in Vegas, I've done this before, I'm with my wife, I go up to the roulette table, you're working the, 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 the thing, right, the spin. I put, yeah. a, I put, a, I put a, hey, I'm feeling lucky, I put $100 down on red, number 10, and I win, okay? Right. What, should, what should I give you? simplest right there what should i give you for that lucky moment well i mean you're winning look it's not like putting a hundred down on a number and winning 35 to one i mean that that's a huge take and and that you, you kind of you don't want to you don't want to be a dick i would say that uh winning even money on a red bet so you, you're doubling up you maybe throw the guy 20 bucks you know and how much would maybe. i have won in that how much would i have just won well, if you put up a hundred, you'd win another hundred. I'm supposed you, to give him. What are you? What are you? Fucking levity? My management company? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you twenty dollars. I want a hundred dollars. I thought. 
It's Perfect. like a, it's like a going out to dinner. That's five bucks. Well, that's why that's you five bucks. That's, that's why you don't bet on the colors. You bet on the numbers. Those are your better odds. When all you right, win, you win thirty-five line, to one. Bottom line, line I'm friend. doing craps or something, all right? I'm only playing for like ten minutes, and I win a thousand dollars. What do I, what do I tip the guy? I won a thousand dollars in twenty minutes. Oh, now we got to go to the show. Can't believe I just won a thousand dollars in twenty minutes. What do I give the guy? Well, listen, this scale is a little flawed because I'm a Jew and I was born in Israel. So I, you know, I would say. <laughs> what do you want me to buy your car? Should I buy your Datsun? Right. <laughs> I would say once I pull my calculator out and deduct everything, I would give him about uh, 74.35. That's what I would walk away with. All right. So literally, $1,000. I'll tell you, you want to hear a great, a great tipping story? Here's one. There's these, there's these two Australian guys. They're brothers. They own. The grocery store, Smith, you know, the chain of grocery stores, Arizona and Nevada. And, uh, I don't know if you guys ever been, but anyways, they're both high roller gamblers. They came to the MGM Grand one night, and one of the brothers gets the whole craps table closed down for himself. And he's playing, and he wins, I think, 2.1 mil, right? And he leaves without tipping any of the dealers. And all the dealers are motherfucking this guy. You know, they're just steaming. And uh, and he comes back a week later on the same night, asks the pit boss to get together the same dealers that were on that shift and gave each of the dealers, I think it was five of them, I never dealt crap, so forgive me if I'm off like that, but uh, gave them each a box with a key in it to a Corvette and told them to pick the color. And, oh, uh, <laughs> what a nice touch. <laughs> This is the Christmas show too, so that really oh, means a lot. Oh <laughs> God! You know what? That that story's fantastic because it's such a one eighty. They went home and for a week they're telling people the story that this bastard didn't tip on two point one, and next thing you know they're driving around in a vet. God, I, I would love to pull something like that. Oh man! And when you when you live in Vegas and you're a dealer and you deal to celebrities and, and athletes and you're you and part of you is praying for a story like that to motherfuck somebody all over town. Like there's dealers that are just waiting to tell people at the bar or other dealers how, you know, this guy didn't tip shit and this guy was an asshole. And, and so for that 180, I, and by the way, that's the only good tip story I got for you out of the 12 years I lived there. <laughs> well, you're still not telling me, though, real quickly, though, if I won, like, hypothetically, okay, I won 10G. I go to gamble one night. I'm not a gambler. I'm, I'm throwing the damn crabs. I'm drinking. Everyone's cheering me on. In two hours, I win 10 grand. I don't need to stress, bro. I need to know right now, what can I leave where I can go sleep in my room without thinking everyone downstairs thinks I'm a cheap bastard? Give a guy a couple hundred. Throw two C-notes. Oh, that's be nice. Wow, that's way more reasonable. Yeah, two chips. Yes. Uh, maybe two I'll chips leave across the table, man. Because listen, I mean, Shit, I'll get him a couple of slices from Sabaros, too. <laughs> 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 Dude, I mean, listen. When if you're if you're at a at a craps table on a wet, listen. I my shift sometimes I work three a.m. to eleven a.m. and on a Tuesday night at four in the morning at the Barbary Coast, there's no high rollers playing. You're dealing to prostitutes, cab drivers, and the fucking bottom of the barrel, basically, at at a two dollar blackjack table. God so damn. if you were to break a guy off two hundred bucks on a Tuesday. 4 a.m. morning, believe me, you're a god to that guy. 
Now, now, as you're looking at what's coming up to the table, how much of your soul? <laughs> I was thinking like, it too. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I mean, do you do you sit there going, God damn, yeah. what the hell am I doing? Does it does it eat at your soul? <laughs> oh my God, there's a neon sign hovering above him that said, "Welcome to rock bottom." <laughs> this is yeah, this so- is exactly why I left dealing blackjack is exactly what you just said is I got tired of ruining people's lives in a matter of an, of 45 minutes. Cause we get tapped out for a break every 45 minutes. You take like a 10, 12 minute break. So there was a cab driver. His mother passed away. She left him a trust fund. Right. And this guy, rather than saving the money would come and play blackjack and he'd play two spots by himself, $2,000 a hand. Okay. Oh while he still worked as a cab driver. And what the casino would do was they had this guy who was down in the break room, and he might have, I don't know if it was like Asperger's or autism, but he was, you know, something was going on there. But he was basically like the cleaner, and they would call this guy up to deal at tables where guys were cleaning house. And this guy, in a matter of 45 minutes, would just take this fucking money down like every time, every time he was their Mariano Rivera. Every time, <laughs> well, it was see, amazing. See, but that goes right back to what you were saying earlier in the show, oh, where you said when someone tips you uh, to say, "Hey, help me win," because it'll be worthwhile to you, and you go, "There's nothing I can do to make that happen." Obviously, there is. They brought in the fucking wolf, the Harvey Keitel of the dealing here, right? Oh, listen, the pit boss can come over and tell you to change up your shuffle at any time. He can come to the roulette wheel at any time and slow it down or speed it up. There's, there's, no, there's no advantage for you as a player in any other game in the casino other than uh, poker, like Hold'em, because then you're playing against other players. But everything else, it's tilted to the house. But if you and like a guy who really knows how to play cards, which obviously you do as well as a dealer, are friends, and for like two months straight, you just practiced over and over and over in your apartment how to have him come in and subtly win a ton of money off of you, and you don't know him, pretend, and he doesn't know you. Could you ever pull that off? And here's the bigger question. If you got caught, would those pit bosses just call the cops, or would they like beat the shit out of you first in a back room? They, first of all, they still beat the shit out of people in Vegas. I, I don't care what anybody says. That's a, that's a pastime that will never die out there, number one. Number two, pretty much every concept of a scam that you can think of has been attempted, and the people that have been caught have are either, you know, never... First of all, they have a blacklist that goes out to all the casinos, so this person can't walk into a casino without this eye recognition technology that they have in these cameras and they spot them and they throw them out in two seconds. The other, the other option is they hire these people to work the eye in the sky to do security to catch other thieves. And when I was in blackjack dealer school, which is a, a, a blast, by the way, uh, it, I was, I had a teacher that basically Jack dealer school in <laughs> fucking Nevada <laughs> Somebody load the gun, put the gun in my mouth, and fucking let's get this party started. 
this guy told me he said keep your eye on your chip tray which is directly below my nose as a dealer it's right there by your by your stomach there's no way you can miss it he says keep your eye on your chip tray because people could take chips out of your tray right without you seeing it right under your nose and i'm like yeah whatever so i deal out to everybody at the table and I asked this guy, hit, stay, hit, stay. I go around to flip over my cards to show my hand. And a thumbtack has been put through my cards and the felt. So now my cards are thumbtacked to the table, which this guy did right under my nose after he told me to watch without me even seeing it. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. You know, that, that quickly, that reminds me, I told Sebastian in the past, my dad a couple of years ago, my, they went to uh, Greece, and my dad got pickpocketed, and he's never been the same. Like, I think if he would have got raped and butt-fucked in an alley, it would have affected him less than the fact that somebody took his wallet on a train, and he had no idea. It's so scary, right, bro? Right under your eyes. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've watched people do that in Vegas. I watched a guy cross the street next to a, a lady, and he had a jacket over his arm, and he draped the jacket gently over her purse that was still on his arm. And with his other hand, he was just quietly rifling through her purse. And she went left, he went straight, and that was the end of that. Man, man. That's fascinating. So, so you lived a life in Vegas. You're on Stern. Now, give me a... Um, what are we doing? Are, are we doing stand-up? Are, are, do you want your own show? Are you happy? What's, uh, what's, what's the future got in store for you? Well, I, I quit dealing to pursue stand-up. And I got my start in stand-up by a guy by the name of Sandy Hackett, who uh, is the son of Buddy Hackett, the legendary comic. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was doing a show at a strip club in Vegas on the strip and a buddy of mine knew I wanted to do stand up, and he told me about the show and I went out and I asked him, I said, uh, I'd done like two open mics. So I was standing there and I'm like, Hey man, I got three minutes. Uh, I can do that's cool with you. And, uh, he threw me up and I was terrible, but he said, you know what? I think you got a, a shot at this and you should keep coming back and doing this. And, uh, and he, and, and so I basically went and got a part-time job while pursuing stand-up at the Las Vegas McCarran Airport as a wheelchair pusher in the oh. airport. <laughs> oh, my God. Your jobs get more and more depressing as this cast goes on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. And, 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 and as long as we're on the tip topic, what do you expect as a tip? From taking, oh, oh please! Don't even, Sebastian, oh, don't even mind? get me started. Don't even get me started with what human beings think is adequate as far as a tip for another human being being your fucking engine. You understand? Listen, listen, on carpet, on carpet, no less. Have you ever pushed? Somebody in a fucking wheelchair, a, a fat fuck, by the way. Those are the only people that need wheelchairs at the airport. There's a newsflash for you: is these giant monsters that don't want to walk anywhere, and they and they throw you fifty cents at the end. Of, you're covered in sweat. You're ready to die, and they give you fifty cents 
like you're some fucking nephew sitting <laughs> on their lap. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, let me ask you this. A couple of questions. First of all, yeah. first of all, are you obligated to chit-chat while you push them? Because <laughs> <laughs> I always see the, the idle chit-chat. Sometimes they're like, oh... I uh, last time I've gone to Louisville was when I blah blah blah. And as you're pushing them, you're going, "Well, hopefully you'll have fun this time too, sir." Or oh, please. <laughs> For me, anyways, it was great because they had seat belts on the on the wheelchair, so I had a captive audience to try out material with. You know, they weren't oh going anywhere. God. Oh my god! Are you are you gonna put that in your fucking biography someday? That's pathetic. That's like me saying I I love when the elevator used to get stuck because I turned to the other guy and go. So I was in a bar last night. You <laughs> My biography. I'm writing a script right now for a show called uh, Pushers, all about by, my fucking job the way, at the airport. I also want to point out that Sebastian's gonna be the only 88 year old elderly man ever in a wheelchair getting pushed through Chicago. Yeah, pining over what he should tip the fucking strapping young man pushing him to the end I'm to the game. You, I'm sweating that moment because I'm looking at this and I'm going, "What do you tip the guy from? What, what do you pick him up at the at, at the at baggage and then take him to game?" <laughs> well, you're smart. Lana. Well, you got ten years on Lana. She could push you, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, if I'm traveling alone. <laughs> hey, that, by the way, by the way, that's frowned upon upon the wheelchair pushers. That's like a scab crossing the picket line when you got a family member pushing you instead of an employee that's there to do that job. <laughs> hey, Sebastian, you're a month away, baby, from only needing someone to roll you into your private jet. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> I had I had a guy I had a guy that was almost five hundred pounds. Okay. And, and the amount of fat people that use wheelchairs, they have special wheelchairs at the airport that they call galaxy chairs. I'm not kidding you. They're <laughs> extra wide. They're like, you know, like an Escalade. It's a, a wheelchair version. And, and they fucking tell you on the, on the walkie-talkie, they're like, we need a galaxy chair to see 19. <laughs> and you're like, oh, there's a fat fuck waiting to see 19 for me, you know? Have you... And, and, yeah. I had to push this guy. There was coming out of the AB gates in Vegas. There's this little incline that that's about, you know, eight feet uphill. And, and I seriously was thinking in my head, I may be coming backwards down this hill through TSA because I can't make it up this hill. Uh, with this fucking guy. I was going to ask you that. Have you ever had a situation where you honestly said, I can't push this guy alone? This is what is this? The ESPN strongman competition. Yeah, it's it. I I fucking. I mean, at the time, I was weighing a buck fifty, you know, a buck fifty two with my keys and cell phone, and and that's it. And I I took a running start at this hill with this guy, and I got him up the hill, and I couldn't talk for the next fucking five minutes because I was out of breath. And oh. this guy asked me to swing by Burger King on the way to baggage uh, claim. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting a kick oh, on the hotel. God. <laughs> Listen, what happens when, and I don't know if you've had to deal with this, but when they, they go from the, the, the galaxy wheelchair to that fucked up airplane wheelchair, where, right. isn't there a transfer where they, you got to roll them down the aisle? Right, well, that's somebody who's, 
truly handicapped. Yeah, it, when does it's it actually, get to the point it's called where you... an aisle chair, aisle chair assist. And, oh. and what you do is you got to lift this person, this human being, you and another fucking idiot making minimum wage are now lifting this person <laughs> out of their wheelchair and, and into this aisle chair and you strap them in. Uh, with seat belts, and it's basically just a really thin wheelchair to get them on the aisle way of the plane, and yeah. then you lift them into their seat. And, yeah, I, I'm, uh, not, and, uh, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I'm not particularly saying about the people that actually need that, but do you ever have to strap an overweight person into that aisle um, chair? No, no. They, first of all, they never fit. Okay, the chair would fit, but their their body wouldn't fit down the aisle, and okay. and you wouldn't believe it when you get to the gate. All of a sudden, they can fucking walk just fine. Oh, as soon as you get to the gate, <laughs> I'll tell you, I have no problem. Obviously, when we're about to board a plane and they have those wheelchair assists, of course. But when we land, if they tried to let them get off first, oh my, I'd probably break a fucking window and climb off the wing and jump. <laughs> I swear to God, I, that I couldn't tolerate. Dude, so. Let me tell you, I had a guy with no legs, okay, walk off the flight by himself on his knuckles like, oh, a, like an animal, okay? Oh, God. Gets, gets in his wheelchair in the jetway that's, that's at an incline, and I look at him, I'm holding a suitcase like his girlfriend, you know, and I look at him and I go, uh, you need a hand with it? And he goes, nope, I got it. And he hauled ass up the jetway, up the ramp, all by himself. I'm just towing his luggage. He gets to the taxi lane. He gets a, a handicapped taxi. They lift him into the taxi. He gives me a thumbs up like Super Dave, and he was on his way. That was it. He didn't fucking ask wow. me for anything. Wow. Threw me a ten dollar tip. That was it. Surely, before you got the job on the Howard Stern show, have you ever had a job where you didn't want to kill yourself at the end of the shift? <laughs> <laughs> No, every single job, every single job. I got I got fired from the macaroni grill because I didn't want to write my name upside down on the tablecloth like a jerk off. I told him, I go, what, I go, I go, what are you talking about? Write it upside down so they can read it. I go, they can read it if I write it this way. They go, no, 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 write it upside down. Bro, the the macaroni grill. Ah, oh, they're so awful. Oh. Well, the only but I did push a few celebrities at the airport in wheelchairs. Uh, I pushed BB uh, um, King. I got to push him off a flight, and he gave me a hundred dollar tip actually, which was very wow. cool. Nice. Uh, and uh, and then I pushed Pat Morita from the Karate Kid. <laughs> oh, he must have been light as a feather. That'd be nice. I would want to push him. Use one well, finger. I was, I was just starting out doing stand-up, and I, I go to him. I go, hey, I know you've done stand-up for a while. You're doing any stand-up in town? He goes, you pick me up in a fucking wheelchair. What do you think? That's what he fucking told me. <laughs> oh, God. Wow, man. B.B. King and uh, the, the, the other guy. Done. Oh, he had Lucille on his lap, the guitar, the whole time I was pushing him. It was awesome. And uh, and then one night I had a drunk Australian guy that missed his flight, and his flight was like four hours later, and he literally gave me 200 bucks to just push him around because he was drunk. <laughs> he couldn't walk. 
<laughs> and just push them like, around all the spots of the airport. It was like when you when you go to a, a, a like a, a foreign island like St. Lucia or Aruba, and you rent a cab for a whole day. You were like a rickshaw. The guy rented you for the whole day. <laughs> Dude, I, I quit. I quit one job first day. It was I was supposed to be like a. I'm a sorry. Hold on. So with the two hundred dollar yeah. guy from Australia, like would he go to a TGI Fridays? And you're just hanging out out front in the wheelchair, just in case he Chili's. wants to go get Chili's was the spot. Yeah, in case he, he wants to go, go get, get a yogurt afterwards. <laughs> he bought he bought like uh, like really uh, uh, touristy Vegas pajamas at the gift shop at one point, and uh, he wanted me to take him to Chili's, and he got nachos. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just yeah. drive around. Just drive. Just yeah. drive. At one point, at one point, he was literally reading the newspaper at one of the newsstands. He wasn't buying it. He was just sitting there in a chair reading it, and, he, and I was just hanging out waiting. Did he say, "While you're pushing me, if I fall asleep, just keep pushing me"? <laughs> he actually told me, "He said, make sure I get to the flight in case I pass out." Uh, you know. He, how about this? This is the ultimate. Oh, All right. One last story for you, wheelchair-wise, because this is the greatest story ever. You ready for this? Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I get a call on the, on, on the radio, <laughs> an ATB, that we got a, uh, a guy that's at the D gate that needs to get to the C gate, and he's in his own wheelchair. But he needs a pusher. He's at the so, D gate, he's at the D gate, and he needs to get to the C gate. Right. And okay, he, and he I didn't hear pusher. you. Okay, and he needs one of you guys to help with the wheelchair. Okay. So I go there, and the first thing I notice, which they tell us when they hire us, is if they're in their own wheelchair and they don't have footrest. Custom? Custom? Feet, custom? They have, their own cu- they, don't, they have their own custom wheelchairs sometimes. Yeah, well, I guess some, some people don't have, like, the little footrest, like the little pegs that their feet sit on. And by law... We can't push them in that because if they happen to fall out, they can sue the airport and the company and all this shit. So it's all lawyer shit. So I get to this guy. He's running late for his flight, and he's at the wrong gate. And now I see he doesn't have pedals, and so I have to tell him that I can't even push him now, you know? <laughs> and, and so in the nicest way possible, I go, sir, please, I'm sorry. I go, you know, because the lawyers and everything's all screwed up. I go, I can't push you because you don't have footrests. And if your feet hit the ground or you fall out, we could get sued. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, yeah? And he takes his right leg and he spins it up in the air from the knee down. He spins his leg up. He takes his left leg and he spins that one. There are two prosthetic legs attached from his knee down and he now his shoes are under his chin okay his feet are like <laughs> his feet are an x and his shoes are under his chin and he looks at me and he goes is that fucking good enough for you and uh, <laughs> oh my God. and my first thought was i gotta push this guy like this through the airport this is gonna be amazing <laughs> So I start pushing him. <laughs> it was awesome because these people are just landing in Vegas. They're ready to have the greatest weekends of their lives. And there's a guy who looks like he was just hit by a train coming at him. And the, oh, man. That's too much. The horror. That's the horror much. in these people's uh, eyes. That's too much. They I got to say, man, 
I, I feel like this is a situation, Shul, where a guy like you would lean over and just say to the guy, listen, normally I need pedals, but if you can just make sure your feet don't get stuck, you know, fuck the pedals, you know? I mean... I mean, listen, it all happened so fast. The guy was... Oh, now it happened so fast. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Now I'm going to tell the guy to sit his feet back? Like, <laughs> I, I'm already delivering enough bad news to this guy. I might as well just push him and get him on his way. So, Shules, have you ever had... I mean, you got some funny goddamn stories. Have you ever had a situation where maybe somebody who wasn't quite aware of whether or not how close you were to the Stern family meeting you know, Robin and Howard stuff. Have you ever had anyone ever approach you about, like, off of money if you had interesting information? Like, has it ever gotten that gross? I mean, because this is, we're talking about one of the most famous people in America. I had I had a, a guy, it was pretty weird. One night he was, um, he was hanging out. Uh, it, it was in L.A. I, I was out there doing, like, red carpet questions for the show, for the Grammys. And, uh, and I met this guy at a bar and, uh, uh, you know, we were just shooting the shit talking and, and he was like, you know, super friendly and, and like, not in a gay way, you know, not there's anything wrong with that, but he was just super friendly and, and, and like, we were, you know, having a funny conversation, laughing about shit. And, and at one point he started asking me questions about the show and <laughs> underneath this, like little magazine like a LA Weekly or something I see his cell phone and I see it's recording and I'm like oh, man I'm like what are you doing and he's like oh I didn't even know it was on yeah. and I'm like what do you mean you didn't know it was on how long has this fucking thing been on and and it got really fucking weird and I, I actually made him open up that fucking app and, and look in there and see what time shit he was recording and what and uh I made him delete fucking like four things right there on, on the spot. Not that I said anything bad, but it's just like, it was just yeah. a creep move, yeah. you know? I was of like, course. What the fuck, man? God damn, that's fucking weird, man. Well, I mean, yeah. uh, listen, bro, we all fans. Uh, I don't know, Sebastian, you got any more questions? I'm dying, bro. We've had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, what, what? I mean, listen, man, we don't have any guests. <laughs> no, we have no typically. one. And it's it's not it, it, it's not because we we don't like guests. It's just literally we don't know nobody. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it's been really a blast uh, talking to you, and and and, um, and uh, yeah, no, it, I, I had had a great time, and uh, thanks for coming on our show and sharing some of your stories, Pete. You got anything that you want to like uh, wrap it up with? Well, I mean, Jules, you've been so much fun, man. And I've known you for a long time over at Sirius, and I adore you, man. So um, <clears throat> these Can stories... Can I tell you guys one quick last story that yeah. I think you guys will appreciate? Of course, of course. Because I love your take on, on things. And, and by the way, let me just say, uh, I heard the commercial for this podcast on Riotcast. I listened to Robert Kelly's podcast and a couple other guys. And, uh, and the commercial caught my ear. And, and I gave the show a listen and I got to tell you, man, the show is great. You guys are so fucking funny and, and you're not, it, it's not forced like so many podcasts. It's just two guys hanging and just being natural and funny. And, uh, it's really entertaining, man. And, and I really enjoyed it. So you guys are doing a great job and I know you don't have guests, so it's an honor, man. I, I believe me. I'm honored to be a part of things. 
uh, with you guys, and uh, all the best to you guys. Man. But uh, I, I just want to tell you, because I brought up the L.A. thing and Grammys, I, I flew back from that flight uh, with a middle seat on a flight, and the people that, that were uh, my bunkmates was an Orthodox Jewish couple, which... For the most part, even though I was born in Israel, I've just never gotten along with Orthodox Jews for some reason. Just always, they're just aggressive, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm not that, I'm right. not that big of a Jew. You're you know, American. I play one You're on American. TV. You're American. Exactly, exactly. So, right away, I try to diffuse things, and really nicely, I go, would either of you guys care to switch? I'm fine with the window or the aisle. And, and his wife says, I prefer the window, and he prefers the aisle. And I was <laughs> like, all right, you know, nothing you can do. We took off. I put the headphones in, and I wake up, and the husband, this is like 30 minutes I've been sleeping. I wake up, and the husband's standing in the aisle, and he's got his arms out, and, and he's got a baby that he's handing me that they didn't have when we took off. First of all, okay. <laughs> Somebody just gave these fucking people a baby, right? And and I take the headphones out, and the guy says to me, "He doesn't say excuse me, sorry." He goes, "Hand the baby to my wife," like that. And I go, uh, "No," I said. Uh, this is why I asked if you guys wanted to switch, you know, because now we're in each other's lives, and and this is not what I want. And the guy says to his wife in Hebrew, which is, is something I've been waiting for almost 40 years of my life because I speak it fluently. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I've been waiting to catch somebody talking shit forever, you know? <laughs> and, and this guy says to his wife in Hebrew, he says, which translated means that's why I hate them about me oh, what <laughs> yeah. do you what do you what does he think you are that's what i said i go what, what i'm not a fucking asian math whiz sitting in between you two <laughs> you know what, uh, it's not hard to figure out what the fuck i am guy i'm, and, two, I'm two months removed from pushing people through the fucking mccarran <laughs> airport in wheelchairs <laughs> <laughs> well i just instantly thought that i should answer him in hebrew like to let him know yeah I, fucking i got you and the first thing that came out of my mouth was which translated means go fuck your mother in her asshole is what I told the guy at 35,000 feet. Oh, shit. Dude, let me tell you something. Nobody's handing you kids after that. Fucking, <laughs> you drop that, nobody's handing you anything. You know, nobody pissed their shit the rest of the flight. That was it. And, and, I'm, and I couldn't get over the fact that who gives a, a stranger a kid on a flight? I don't understand that. Would you do that, Pete? Would you hand off your kid? I'm going to be completely honest with you, Shuley. You didn't say that to that guy. I swear on no, my No, you said wife. something along the lines of, I, I speak that language too, sir, and that offended me. Listen, yeah. I'm ba Listen Pete, I'm backing up Shuley That's on this. fine. I need tape. I need, I need videotape. I need a lot. <laughs> I just, I'm not buying you it. You need a Zapruder film? I know Shuley. I know Shuley. He's not that aggressive. No, but he's been waiting for this his whole life. 
You what don't understand you. I understand that, and it's fantastic that you and that guy both know this this language. But I just don't think he'd come in that hot and heavy. I think he'd come in a lot. Look, I surely correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you used to smoke cigarettes? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Me and you smoked many butts because I remember standing outside with you for years, and I would always go home. And one of my biggest thoughts about you was the guy's a f- goddamn sweetheart. And if I spoke Swahili and I said some bad stuff about you and it turns out you spoke Swahili, I think you would still just come back and go, guy, I hate to embarrass you, but I speak Swahili. I don't, I don't. Uh, See, I I think, I think your reasoning is coming from a place where you speak no second language and you have no, no comprehension of, of what this means. It's one thing to walk down the street and hear somebody talking in Hebrew and asking them, Oh, where's the Empire State Building or whatever? But but to have somebody insult you in another language, not knowing that you speak that yeah. language, to be to be undercover, you're fucking you're 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 running a sting operation at that point. Yeah. And, and your every cop's dream is to pull that fucking badge out and go, hands up, motherfucker, I'm a cop. And yeah. and that was that was my badge moment. I swear wow. to you. Here's right. here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When I landed in New York, I called my wife and I told her this exact story. And she says to me, "Oh, that's so funny." And I was still so mad. I I said, "Honey, it's not about the funny." I go, "Who who hands a fucking stranger a kid?" That's that's where I was. I was infuriated by the whole thing that I had a little seat that these assholes were next to me, that, that, that this guy just assumes I'm going to be a part of his life. The whole thing, it just, it was my falling down moment. And I swear to you, that was the answer that I gave. And, and I, 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 I don't regret it for a second. I would have done it a million times over. It, and I swear I didn't think about it at all. It was the first thing that came out of my mouth. Can you remember and can you paint the listeners a picture of this man's face when you said that to him, did, did, was it a shock and awe? Was it anger? Was it humility? Where was he? It was. It was part of it. Was almost cartoon like, where you were waiting for his eyes to to literally bulge out of his head. There was his <laughs> wife let out a gasp of air that was it, it was as if the oxygen tanks just dropped from oh, the fucking top of the plane it was it was uh, she was like and the guy immediately pulled the baby back <laughs> and turned back down the aisle and went and handed the kid back to whoever gave it to him and they didn't say a word to me the rest of I could have lit a cigarette in between the two they would have kept their fucking mouth shut I oh, swear to god moment <laughs> Well, the more you guys explained it to me, the more I realized it's like a director coming up to an actor explaining, I don't think you're understanding the situation. That that really is offensive, right? I mean, if someone was thinking, I don't know what they're saying about me, that would really piss me off, right? Now, even though you were insulting him back, I still feel like he owes you an apology after all this was done, right? Absolutely. I listen. I'm 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 undercover. The last thing I want to do is show my hand to anybody anywhere because if it means me surviving to see tomorrow, I'll jump ship in any second anywhere. You know what I mean? Like I've had guys come 
to places. I, 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 I used to work at this souvenir liquor store in Vegas, and, this, and it was owned by Israeli guys. Oh, my God. Right you, worked, you worked at a liquor store in Vegas. You pushed yeah, people was, in wheelchairs in McCarran Airport, was, and you dealt cards was, at a low-level casino in Vegas. It was that Fremont Street experience. If you ever been there? It's like this whole light show canopy that goes on for like a mile and a half. And uh, and this guy came in there one day, Arab guy. And there's a really small Israeli flag in the corner of the store that it, you either have to work there or really hate Jews to see it. And this guy goes to me. He sees the flag and he goes, "Are you Israeli?" And lucky for me, I don't have the accent, so I'm like, "No, I'm from Pittsburgh," you know. And he goes. Uh, between you and I, I don't like the Jews. And I look them right in the eyes and I go, me neither. I've had it up to here with them. <laughs> if you're not going to, if I can see tomorrow, let's go get them. Let's get them, motherfucker. <laughs> well, while we're at it, Chules, I, I would also like to thank you for joining us during the Hanukkah run here. So that's a, that's big of you to join us while it's Hanukkah. Well, it's all about miracles, my friend. And, uh, you know, we've made miracle happen tonight. I believe it. I feel it. And uh, I, I thank you guys for gracing me with the honor of being on Pete Sebastian's show. It is my pleasure. <laughs> You're a goddamn sweetheart, bro. You were so funny. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, My pleasure, show. guys. And, and good luck. Shout out to Watt. Yeah, and, shout uh, out to Watt. And uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Enjoy the holidays with the family. And you, you got your new father, right? Yeah, yeah, we got a almost three month old in here, and I got a four year old. Oh, Jules, congratulations on the three month man! Yeah, thanks. It's going great. <laughs> 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 nah, it's awesome, man. I got two little girls. They're they're beautiful, and uh, I'm going to show them every play in the fucking playbook. So they're going to be every guy's worst nightmare when they grow up. Shules, That's my plan. But you know, Shules, all right, you, you know as well as me, right? And, and, and Sebastian will know soon, I would imagine. But, like, when you have a kid, um, like, I went to the doctor's office with my daughter about two days ago. And right. we go in, and, you, and eventually you go into the little room, and you're waiting for the doctor to come in. And he comes in pretty quick. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we do all the examination, hold it down, weigh her, and this, that. And my daughter's pretty much fine, but she needs a couple of shots. So now the doctor leaves, and he goes, you know, the nurse will come in to do the shots. And you know as well as I do, once you have a kid over a year old, I need shit for the kid to do, all right? The kid's going to walk around, grab shit, push shit, move shit, touch shit. She's not just going to sit there and read the fucking paper. Until you come in right. with the shots. So <clears throat> I'm doing with Jackie. We're doing the best we can, me and my wife. We're playing with her and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, everything from the rubber gloves on the desk she's grabbing. And then they have, like, you know, these little plastic things that when they go to give you an ear examination, they grab one of these plastic cone things and put it over the ear thing and then put it in your ear. Yeah, that, it's like a cover. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a little cover of it. So they got a basket of them. And my daughter's playing with them. And then the nurse walks in about a half hour later. And she looks at my daughter and goes, Oh, no, sweetie. You don't want to play with those. People put those in their ear. My daughter's a year and a half. She doesn't understand what you're saying. That was her way of giving me shit, right? 
Right, no, right. No sooner does that come out of her mouth. At the same time, in stereo, me and my wife double team her from either ends, both with various versions of, well, if you didn't make us sit in here for a fucking half hour, uh, <laughs> this wouldn't be a problem. If you weren't going to come right back in, put me back out in the waiting room where there's toys and shit. What do you expect, right? So, so the woman goes, well, I didn't know you were waiting for a half hour. And I go, well, we were. And uh, let's just do this. And she goes, to, she goes, we need to do three shots Hold it down. Each I need. Yeah. I thought I heard Pete. Oh, and then she. Oh, and then she goes. I need each of you to grab one arm and one leg. So looks like the end of Braveheart. That's what I'm saying. I go afterwards. I said to Jackie, "Are we getting a flu shot? Are we cauterizing this broad here? What are we doing?" And she stabbed him so hard in the right thigh. And it started bleeding right away, and she barely puts on a, a Band-Aid well. And then she goes to do the left side, and me and Jackie are making eye contact. Like, is, is she murdering our daughter right now? And, <laughs> and and now it's my side, and the leg squirms a little, and the lady's holding the thing. And she goes, I thought you were holding it. And I go, I'm holding it. I'm holding it. So it's, it's, <laughs> and she stabs the power it. of a kid that doesn't want to get stabbed. And, it's pretty been, amazing. <laughs> but it's been two days now. My daughter still has bruises. And, and yeah. we, we had another nurse who usually would do it. It was much softer. But I feel like my... That was personal. That was that personal. Was that like, was my message. daughter got stabbed. Like, that was because of me. That was because of me, right? I, I got... Like, if I was nicer, my daughter would be able to walk the past two days. Pete, Pete, that was the same message as a fish wrapped up in paper in The Godfather. That's exactly <laughs> what she did to you. She sent you a message. Don't fuck with me. You want to wait a half hour? Now I'm going to stab your kid. What are you going to do about it? Uh, it's the worst. My wife knows. She doesn't even, she, she knows. She's like, you don't have to come in. Because one time, they, they, my daughter let out a scream, and the doctor kept going. And my fist just clinched instinctually. Like, I'm just like, I'm about to hit this fucking guy. And and my wife since then is like, you can't be in here for this shit because you, you can't handle it. It's just, that's it. You're there to protect them. Once they come out, that's everything. You're, that's your mission in life is to make sure nobody fucking hurts them ever. So, so after you had the baby, the, uh, do you get all sorts of gifts from the whole staff? <laughs> oh, let me tell you something. Robin threw well, the first kid we had. Uh, Robin threw a, a baby shower for my wife, and she'd never met her before. She met her one time. Hello, that was it. She threw a baby shower for my wife, and I gotta tell you, the people she invited, the gifts, you know, were amazing. We wouldn't have got, if we would have done ten baby showers, we wouldn't have gotten the gifts that we got from that one baby shower. And she just did it out of the kindness of what, her heart. What did, like, what, did Rob, what did Robin give your first child? One year, one year at Yale? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, no, she actually gave her a little town in Africa. Uh, it's hers. <laughs> it's all hers. <laughs> all right, Jules, <laughs> you're a fucking sweetheart. It's been a ball, brother. Yeah, Dude, love you guys. Show. Love the show. Keep it going. I'll be listening every week, and uh, and thank you again. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. All right, later, my man. Later, guys. All right, we're back. Hell of a guest, huh? You know, listen, we haven't had many guests, but that has to be the most fun I've ever had with a guest on the show. 
Well, it's, it, it was great, but I mean, then again, it was only that's what one of four, one of four. How many guests yeah, well, have we had? Hey, you know what? It's 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 <laughs> it was fun, dude. The way you brought it to um, him pushing people in a wheelchair was fantastic. That was all that stuff was way funnier than working on Stern. Well, you know what? I, I was always fascinated with people's jobs and what they've done to kind of get to where they want to go. It was fun. It was fun. Great having Shuli on. Nice little break in between. Let's get back to it. You're backstage at Conan O'Brien. You're sharing a, a bathroom with a connected green room with five midgets. Five midgets. Uh, I tell my wife to leave. I got to get in my own head. Ellen DeGeneres walks in. Now, wow. got to ask you this. I like Ellen. Grew up on Ellen. I think she's really, really funny. Someone I would like to meet. That's one of my people that I wouldn't mind meeting, Ellen the Generous. But I'm getting ready to do my set on Conan. She's there, kind of in that area. So it would be a blatant kind of introduction if I went up to her and said, Hello, how you doing? I'm a comedian. I'm on the show. Are you a type of guy to introduce yourself to comedians who are, you know, older than you, more successful? What's your take on that? Uh, Where are we at? Where are we at? It it definitely depends on the situation, where I'm at, and who it is. I mean, obviously, if you were in a comedy club and Ellen walked in, you'd be more inclined to walk up. You're in your own head. I'm a little more focused on... Can we get a little feel for the mini speech given to the lovely wife explaining how you need to be alone? Is it as simple as, baby, I need five? Or is it, like, how do you say you need to be alone at this point in the green room? That's what's interesting to me. No, I mean, uh, totally straight up and honest with Lana and just said, listen, I, I need some time. I need some time alone. I need to get in my head. She's like totally cool. I mean, she was kind of on pins and needles the whole time because she didn't know how to hell. Right. She's probably like, thank God, I want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. She's All like, right. uh, I could stop being an audience. And like, yeah, go ahead. So she went out and talked so, to... So you're about to close the door after your lovely wife is leaving. Then you notice Ellen DeGeneres is floating around in that squared out front area we're talking about. More towards, like, the entrance of that area. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. not kind of in that square, but more kind of hanging, waiting to be called. What she did on the show was they did a bit where Conan doesn't give anything to his audiences. And Ellen gives, like, gifts. So she came out and she gave the whole audience uh, beat headphones. Which, which brings me to a... Um, I mean, do you think do you think the guests on the show should get some beats? If the audience, I, I, I walked I walked away with nothing. I, I, I absolutely you should get some beats. And quite frankly, if I was calling O'Brien, it was my show, and they go, Ellen wants to come on and give beat headphones. I'd be like, fucking call beat headphones and tell them to ship them to me. I'll give them out. Why, why do I need her to be Santa Claus? Yeah, no, I get that. It was more like kind of a joke on himself the whole bit worked the whole audience was pumped thank god they did that because listen 
when you're performing stand-up comedy, the happier the audience is, the happier you're going to be. Well, right? you, I mean, everybody's yeah. got everybody's going home with $200 beat headphones. Of course they're going to be laughing, no? Oh, yeah, you're very you're right. God, that would have been really funny if you opened up by saying that about not getting the beats, but you should as a guest. Absolutely you should have got beat headphones. I and- would have said it. I would have said it if the episode was mine. It wasn't. Ellen DeGeneres episode aired oh. on Tuesday. Oh. So I'm airing tonight with God knows who. I think it's Orlando Bloom who never was on the thing. So if you know, I could I couldn't reference anything on the show. I couldn't I couldn't say, yeah, they got me with the midgets in the back. I couldn't say anything like that. Although I would have loved to come out and said, you know, you know where you you are in your career when, you know, you're sharing a bathroom with you know, guests. <laughs> right, right. Well, let, well, let me ask you this. I'm not going to lie to you, bro. I, I've had a couple of beers now. But let me ask you this. Let's say you get to your green room in Conan, and there's a pair of Beat headphones in there, brand new, unused, in the wrapper, with a note saying, hey, if you want to listen to the show and privacy on the Beats, enjoy them, just leave them in the room for the next guest, all right? Would you toy with taking them? No, and I, I know if you, I know you take, you took a blanket. Well, I took of... the blanket <laughs> from the Rachel Ray show in the same situation. I, I took the blanket, and maybe it was right, maybe it was wrong, but I just want you to know that's why I took the goddamn blanket. Because <laughs> the whole goddamn crowd's getting blankets and shit and fucking candles, and I'm walking out with nothing except an Amtrak fucking ride home. I'm taking the blanket. <laughs> I don't know if I could have took the beats, and by the way, I'm a half a bottle in on the wine. Oh, I love it. Bro, I have never talked so much before about about the lead-up to a five-minute stand-up set in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's not just any stand-up set. It's the stand-up set that's coming off of Fallon where I screwed up. So that's why we're spending a lot of time on this. Well, and now, and now a comedy icon walked into the, 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 the dresser, yeah. dressing room area and you got a decision to make. Are you going to go up and chit-chat with her or not? Now, my, my wife, and I don't know if Jackie does this, but my wife is always like, go, go up, you know, talk to her. She's that wife where she always wants me to interact with the other people on the show. Now, on top of that, Dick Van Dyke is on the show. I can't tell you how excited to hear that that man is alive. 89. I had no idea he was still with us. This is doubly fantastic. This is amazing. We got Van Dyke and DeGeneres in the same room. Seriously, I have to take a moment, bro. I have to take a moment. <sighs> Dick Van Dyke. You should have beelined to that guy for a photo, a hello. That is a true legend. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. I joked. I really didn't know it was alive. It's fucking unbelievable, bro. Dude, bro, I'm not done with the story. I know you're I'm, not. I'm, I'm taking I'm a I'm setting up the pieces. All right. The generous is there. I'd love to meet her, but I figure I'm in my head. I'm getting ready for my set. Last thing I want to do is get in a full-blown thing with the generous. And, 
you know, it's one of those things where you start talking to the generous and then you're like, okay, you know, like, how do you get out of that? I'm in my head. I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm, I'm looking at Van Dyke. Van Dyke's dancing on stage with Conan. The guy's dancing. He's 90. And uh, I'm like, this is it. This is, this is showtime. So they bring me out. And you know how it goes. You just did the damn show. They take you out. And uh, you're, I don't know. What, what do you do before the curtain opens? Are you standing on that little tee? Are you pacing? Where's a Pete Corielli before he goes out and does a TV set? No, I'm. Re- I mean, what do you do? Let's do it right there, right there. You're. you're I'm, always- I'm pacing like a panther. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm back and forth, back and forth, and I got to tell you, JP, the guy who books Conan, nice guy. What a what a great guy. He comes up to me. About a minute before the curtain opens, he goes, don't worry about the time cues. Ignore them. Do what you do, and we'll figure it out later. When he told me that, I felt like a weight was lifted off my thing. Because, listen, you know as well as I do, when you're used to doing headlining sets, you're doing an hour, even if you're doing a feature set, 20, 25 minutes, right? And that's what you're used to. And now you got to condense it to four and a half minutes. That plays a huge part in how you are when you're on stage, no? Absolutely, man. Look, he's also thinking, he's no dummy. He's like, the more time Sebastian does, the less we got to deal with the five midgets. (laughs) (laughs) So you felt for you that was almost like when Adrian comes out of the uh, the coma uh, yeah. and she whisp- whispers just one thing win 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 and if you could have played Rocky right there it, it would have been it because that's literally where I said let me fly and I walked out and you know what this is the first set I've really ever done on a late show where I played the audience. Typically, I played a camera. I played the audience. I, I, I treated it like it was at the comedy store on a Tuesday night. Most comfortable I've ever been doing television. I mean, when I got out there and I did the first line, I go to myself, I said, what the hell was I worried about? And nice. comfortable the crowd was there. It was one of those sets, and I don't know if it plays on TV for those of you that are going to see it. I don't know if it plays, but it was one of those sets where I just felt like, you know, I could rest a little bit. I could, you ever let a joke just kind of sit and then not say anything, kind of wait for the laughter? I've never felt that really really 100% on stage when I did TV, but this night I felt, wow, let me marinate in it, and it was uh, it was great. It was great. I had a great time, and it's always nice when you could hear Conan laughing from behind you. I don't know if, when you did yeah. it, did, did you have an ear on him? Yeah, yeah, you hear him a little bit, of course, and then, like, when he comes over, like, uh, big nicey nice, 
No, really nice, great, very complimentary. And, uh, you know, JP even told me that he loves stand-ups, loves when they come on the show. He doesn't want to know what they do. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to know the set. He just wants to be a part of it as it's happening, which I thought was cool. And, uh, and that. So, boom, it's done. I feel a weight lifted off my shoulder. I got through that. I go backstage. Lana's there with me. She goes, go say hi to Dick Van Dyke. And I go right up to the guy right in his dressing room. And I say, what a, what, what a pleasure to meet you. Uh, huge fan. Uh, and he goes to me, I watched your special twice. And right there, I could have passed away. Wow, man. And, and listen, and I'm just telling you how it is. I'm not the type of guy that likes to like showboat at all. But when Dick Van Dyke tells you that he was... And Lana, God bless her, asked Dick Van Dyke, how'd you see the special? He goes, I love comedy. I always flip around to see what's new and exciting and he goes I, I, I flipped it on I ended up recording it I watched it again and uh, for a guy that's 90 years old that grew up and, and performed in a different era to tell me he really appreciated it and what, 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 what stuck out the most it was clean you're clean and for those comedians out there that are just getting started maybe they're Maybe five, six years into it, whatever it is. <sighs> Clean comedy tends to open more doors than blue comedy. Nothing against blue comedy. Love Richard Pryor. Love George Carlin. Their comedies, you know, it was was relatable, was clean, yet it was dirty at times. Okay, However, Lou, Lou, can we get Chim Chimney? Jim Shimity Chiru playing over this. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But for a guy in that era, it was a different era where comedy was kind of almost wholesome. Do you agree or am I off on a farm? No, I'm taking in everything you're saying, man. There's no disagreeing or agreeing, man. No, keep, I mean, keep going. I, I, keep going with your yeah, spiel. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying just, it. I'm just, I'm just saying, for a guy who's 90 years old, who grew up in kind of like a, the heyday of comedy with Carol Burnett and, uh, you know, uh, Newhart and, and, and people like that, and to appreciate someone who's clean opposed to someone who's talking about cunt, fuck, suck, this and that, was it was it was nice to hear that it's appreciated now absolutely I don't know, absolutely. I don't know uh, where society is on that do you think audience because you always have that comedian that comes on stage and goes this joke is kind of dirty but I don't know if I want to say you ever get that guy where I don't know if I want to say it's kind of dirty and the crowd goes yeah say it when I hear that I have to leave the room. And I managed to stick in some jokes between the curses. You couldn't give no curse show or walk out and say, Hey, fell for him. Motherfucker, dick puts his snot and shit. Good night. Good night. Suck my dick. Bye-bye. So cool, that story. But I want to touch on, it's Christmas. You have your family there. Everyone's sitting around eating dinner. 
I don't want to look conceited. I don't want to sound like some cocky asshole. Something that cool. Don't you just want to tell family and friends without having to be uh, sensitive about it? Don't you just want to be able to call up anyone and go, dude, Dick Van Dyke watched my special twice. That's so cool. It's cool. It's cool. And yeah, did I come home and tell my mom Dick Van Dyke loved the fucking special? Yeah. Oh, well, that's your wheelhouse right there. Your mom, Rose. But when I feel like I'm in a public setting or public forum... In which I am. I'm very humble with it, and I don't want to ever seem like I'm bragging. That That's my whole thing. I never want to seem like I'm telling you, you know, Dick Van Dyke loved the special, but I'm trying to convey the message that a guy who is, you know, one of, one of the best comedians around, when he appreciates what you're doing, resonates with me, and I never want to feel like I'm kind of coming off as... Oh, like dude, 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 on, on our show? Are you kidding me? That's what this show's I'm about. I'm just sharing. I'm no. just sharing. I'm just sharing my life. Of course. You. Dude, Dick Van Dyke. I'm not talking about this show. This is fantastic. I'm blown away by this. I mean, what I'm trying to say is if that happened to me, I don't have 20 minutes to, to bullshit before I yeah. tell a friend. Yeah, listen, yeah, no. okay. Dick Van well, Dyke. Then, you I'll, know? I'll get right into this shit, okay? I'll get right into this shit. <laughs> we had, do we have a photo of you and Dick Van Dyke? Yeah, it's up on it's up, it's up up already. Oh, that's fucking great. And no no contact with Ellen? No, that's that's my regret. I, I wish I would have went up to Ellen at least said hello. Hey, how you doing? I mean, are, do you do that? No, dude, I honestly think within about uh, six months you're going to be getting a phone call. You'll be dancing on the Ellen Show, and I will <laughs> and I will make fun of you on our show for dancing on the Ellen Show. The show has ended. Thinking, how the hell did they... Did I do it? This is, you know, this is a gift from the comedy gods right here. You realize this guy looked down and said, oh, my God, Sebastian's so hopped up because he forgot one line on Fallon. I need to have five midgets in the room sharing a banter (laughs) with him just to take his mind off this shit. He's going to fucking go crazy. (laughs) I mean, nothing else but five midgets sharing a banter with you would work. (laughs) 